Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the week's most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo. Heading into the weekend here, only have time for a couple topics, even though it was yet another crazy week in seafood news. Uh, John, why don't we get started uh, on a topic that's near and dear to your heart, which is uh, marketing, and in particular, national uh, generic marketing uh, in the United States. Now, there are marketing efforts that have been launched um, in both the U.S. and other countries over the years, and in the past, at least, you have argued that uh, they have not been particularly successful. Now, news broke uh, news broke earlier this week that uh, a series of uh, or several uh, executives, I think about around sixty in the seafood industry, including CEOs of, of big name companies, American Seafoods, Bumblebee, uh, Trident, um, all signed onto a letter that was sent to the United States Congress requesting $25 million. And what they want is they want to create a national seafood council to boost the nation's uh, seafood consumption. Now, um, a lot of our recent surveys, uh, we've done seafood executive surveys uh, over the past several years, and almost consistently, um, people from around the industry, from around the seafood industry in different countries have said the U.S. has the most potential. Um, Americans don't eat a lot of seafood uh, per capita compared to uh, what other countries um, consume. And not only has it been flat, but it's actually um, it's actually declined from kind of hitting some earlier highs in, in like the late 80s, I think. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that, John. But in, in essence, um, the U.S. seafood uh, consumer market is not anywhere near reaching its potential. And with that set up, uh, I'll turn it over to you, John. What do they want this $25 million for? And is it even is it even going to do anything to, to help move the needle? Well, uh, that's unclear whether it will move the needle. <laughs> One thing that moved the needle is the global pandemic. But, of course, we don't want to repeat that. So that's really not a marketing strategy. But... Um, yeah, I mean it's similar to the uh, to the marketing council and marketing efforts they had back in uh, nine, 1986 when Congress approved the Fish and Seafood Promotion Act. Uh, at that point, consumption was 15.5 pounds per person. It's you know it's been relatively flat around that level for 30 years. So, um, but. They uh, they got eleven million dollars in twenty six or nineteen eighty six money, which is about twenty two million in today's money. So the the money is about the same that they're trying to get out of Congress. Now, the interesting thing about the uh, original marketing campaign, the big one in nineteen eighty six, it. it didn't really work so well if you look at the numbers. Uh, there was record consumption in 86 that was eclipsed uh, by consumption in 87, which hit 16.2 pounds per person. But the council really didn't get rolling uh, until 1987 uh, with its marking efforts. And that was later in 1987. So 
What happened after that? Well, from 89 to 91, um, consumption actually went down, hitting 14.9 pounds in 91. So if you just judge it from that perspective, um, the first time around wasn't such a success. But what it did leave us with is eat fish and seafood twice a week. That was the message of, of this campaign. And it's a message that has endured, as we all know, and is still in use today. So I would imagine they're going to pivot off that to some degree in this new um, effort, if it is uh, funded. But, you know, I've... I've gone back and forth on this a million times, but in general, if you pin me against the wall and say, should we be doing generic marketing for seafood? I say yes. Now, the new uh, the new effort it was talking about boosting it from 16 to 26 pounds per person. I think that is unrealistic. Uh, I think that is optimistic beyond measure. Nevertheless, any increase in the U.S. Uh, consumption is going to have a significant effect because we eat so little seafood. 16 pounds of seafood compared to, I don't know what the current number is, but it's between 80 and 90 pounds of chicken. And although beef has fallen off, it's still, I think, in the 50-pound range per person each year. So when it comes to protein, we're the, you know, we're the weak, weak child in the equation. So talk to me about what this campaign might do. You kind of hit on it a bit. The the original one uh, that was was launched then had around the same budget as uh, as as uh, folks are asking for now. And we're talking about mid 20 million or so. Right. Um, now, the seafood nutrition partnerships involved with this one, which indicates to me that there may be a health and likely will be a health aspect to it. But this has always been the challenge, no matter who's doing the marketing, whether it's the Norwegian Seafood Export Council, or sorry, just the Norwegian Seafood Council now, um, or the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute, or wherever it might be, when you get into multi-species marketing, it is so difficult. It, it, there's always infighting. There's always arguments about uh, how much should we feature salmon? You know, How much should we have pollock? Um, you know, the, even getting down to those basic messages can be very, very difficult. So you have to find a common thread, but then, you know, and I, I looked at the video clip that you dug up from somewhere in the bowels of the internet about the, uh, the twice a week campaign. And it looked like they were going so far out of their way to make sure they pictured every single fish in the book that what kind of can end up happening. And maybe this is, is why it was not as successful as it as it should have been um th there wasn't really it didn't really end up being a message for for anything any particular uh any particular fish um it sort of left you feeling like well okay i should but you know it was more like a prescription rather than um than making you feel like you needed to go out and, and eat it so okay so then how do you get alaska pollock people and um you know the clam producers on the east coast and the wild shrimpers down in the gulf and how what is the common message then how do you see that coming to get together well i mean that that's always been difficult right and when the in the first time around in 86 when the government stopped funding it after a five-year period which they had agreed to to try and get it off the the ground that you know we went back to the industry to self-fund and it all fell apart 
just for the reasons you said. The crab guys didn't feel they would get enough, and yada, yada, yada. Okay, so uh, that that is a challenge, but uh, be, before I go into it, I would, I would encourage everybody to read uh, NOAA's Marine Fishery Advisory Committee, uh, MAFAC, as we like to call it. Um, they did an extensive three-year um, analysis of this and made recommendations last year and uh, the report's pretty thorough and you know it's it's worth a read through but um, you know I, I think you have to land on a single message because you can't sit there and it doesn't seem to me it, it, you can sit there and promote uh, you know salmon one day and crab the next and yada 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 so eat fish twice a week maybe there's some riff off that you can do but i think what what needs to not get lost in this whole marketing thing if if they go through with it is they're marketing food they're not marketing fish they're not marketing crabs they're marketing they're trying to plant within people's minds when they're at the store or at the restaurant oh I should eat fish today or, you know, I, I think to me that that seems to be where I would land. Now, I'm not a marketing person. I did have a uh, I did have a little time in marketing in college, but nevertheless, I'm not. <laughs> that a was a long time ago, John. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. But uh, uh, I'm not a marketing person and brighter minds than I uh, do these things. Nevertheless, let's. Let's not get lost in our own internal nonsense, which we tend to do so much as an industry. And remember what the what the goal is here is people want to eat food and enjoy it. And we have some of the best food uh, ever created. So, well, I, I think that, you know, that is going to be interesting to figure out first off the process for deciding on this, because you have some big, big companies that have, um, that are producing a lot more of the seafood are paying more ostensibly paying more in tax and the tax dollars that go to fund these things. Um, you know, and those tend to be the folks that drive the boat a little bit in these marketing campaigns. Now, how that's going to work out and whether or not it gets done, you know, via uh, the National Fisheries Institute or, or how that all gets sorted out is going to be, um, wow, that's going to be fun to fun for us to write about. If they would just be able to do some serious market research, that would be valuable because we generally as an industry don't have really good consumer market research on you know, what consumers want when they think of seafood and all those basic questions. So I would hope some of that money uh, does, a, you know, is, is allocated for something to that effect. So, you know, I, I guess part of it too, and I think that's a really good point. It's just, it always strikes me when we go to uh, industry meetings or, um, you know, when you sit in on some of these, uh, whether it's the, the NFI or sit in on some of the, um, Alaska seafood or Norwegian seafood council meetings, um, there's always a marketing expert that takes the stage and it's always astounding to me how little or how shocked the seafood industry, um, is by some of the findings and and just how little market research has been done to understand what the message is. And I think 
I think the industry is still living off of some of the uh, market research assumptions that were made years and years ago about what it is that's keeping people from uh, consuming food or seafood rather. And I, you know, I wonder what actually is the hurdle for Americans? I mean, what is it? I, I don't know, but it may be different than people think. And there may be different messages resonating um, with a newer uh, generation of consumers um, and just resonating in general with everybody and whether that may be something completely unrelated to taste, you know, it could, yeah. when you see some of these ad campaigns um, that are so effective um, for, for some of us, they, they just don't make any sense. Right. Um, you see some of these advertising campaigns, you know, let's say the Super Bowl or whatever, you see these big mega campaigns and you just think, what, why would people do that? And there's very, very bright minds that know what they're doing and um, they strike gold with some of these things. And I'm wondering if messages like local, if more shots of people actually doing the work, uh, more shots of where seafood is harvested or processed or produced. You know, I think that is something that could, um, that should be explored more. I know that you know, you see a lot of the marketing for agricultural products does center around that connection with the people that produce it. And I don't yeah, but, think that's really been explored much in seafood. And there's this very emotional connection with people and, and seafood. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't agree with you on that at all. So forget you. No, <laughs> just, I don't agree. Uh, only because, 80 to 90% of the seafood that we eat comes in from outside. So we're going to get into that situation very quickly where our domestic producers going to be highlighted over, uh, you know, foreign producers from which we import uh, seafood. I mean, I can already hear the guys down in the Gulf, the shrimpers, you know, going nuts because, you know, uh, imported shrimp is getting the same uh, treatment that that their beloved uh, domestic shrimp is. So I, I just think that's kind of a bugaboo. But you know, I could be wrong. Again, I I don't I don't know what exactly the message is. I I just think we have to make sure we're pushing food and not the industry. And, and I I don't know. I I don't know. I hate to say it, but you kind of have a point. Um, and so, you know, cause <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, it is very interesting when you look at how this is lined up. Um, okay. Set aside the signatories for a second to this letter, um, and look at who's going to be administrating the program. Um, it's going to be, you know, NOAA, the national oceanic and atmospheric administration is the one that's really pushing it. You're under, you're coming off, um, you're, you're coming off an administration that was very protectionist and, and very sort of, uh, you know, um, really promoting the idea of domestic production. You have a new administration that's arguably uh, enforcing that even more. And so being a federal agency that's involved with this um, makes me wonder, will this end up being a U.S. seafood campaign? And what I mean by that is, will this end up being focused on um, domestic catch, uh, domestic aquaculture, uh, of which there is very, very little, as we know. But will that 
end up being where it goes? And if so, does that hobble the potential message when you can't feature tilapia, uh, you know, when you can't feature farm shrimp, when you can't feature farm salmon, um, does that in any way blunt the message is a, a little bit of pardon the pun is a little bit of bait and switch. Um, if you're saying, if you're highlighting all these U S uh, all this U S seafood, the consumers go rushing out to buy their local locally caught fish and lo and behold, a mere 10% of <laughs> what's available um, on a good day is going to be uh, domestically domestically caught. Yeah, you're just setting yourself up for failure with that scenario. To me, you know, um, I, I mean, it seems to me the ad campaigns that work really well these days are, you know, they got some catchphrase. You know, well, I'll just go back. The only one that jumps in my mind right now is "Got Milk." I do not honestly know if that increased milk consumption. I'd have to go back and look because I've forgotten, but. That phrase has endured and, you know, um, it, it's a trigger in the mind maybe when you were grocery shopping back then and they were pushing it hard all the time. Um, but, yeah, it's I, I hope it I hope it um, achieves some some success. But, um, you know, it's it's a tough it's a tough one to pull off. But again, if you know, if we spend a little more time on market research, maybe than we do on promotion like ad big ad campaigns and stuff that might be a better way to steer the boat well i'm going to argue too that you know maybe maybe this doesn't end up being a television campaign maybe it doesn't end up i mean you, you look back at a lot of these uh, you know a lot of these campaigns that that you and i have seen over the years over our time here so many of them have just fallen flat um tuna the wonderfish anyone which which <laughs> ended up being evidence in a in a price fixing case for god's sake mm-hmm. um but uh, but uh but yeah um there, but we've got a... social media now exactly See, we didn't have social media in 86 so you don't even have to go on tv i mean boom bang boom you got social media you can you can do quite a bit with that yeah, no, it's it's a completely different landscape for for doing a campaign. I mean, I I actually wonder, I I that's a lot of money, twenty five million dollars. But it, but then again, it's not a lot of money. Um, if if you see what I'm saying, it that will not take you very far. It seems like it would. So you can run, you can have somebody, you can go hire the best ad agency in the world have them develop some kind of online ad campaign, that money can be burned up very, very quickly. Um, so I almost wonder too, and I, I think that this goes to um, actually our next topic, but but movie, the the world's largest salmon farmer and the world's most valuable, valuable seafood company um, by market capitalization, um, they, uh, they actually were, were part of a movement to reduce the levies, uh, that were taken by the Norwegian Seafood Council for the, uh, for the, re- for the rationale, um, that they were bringing in a lot more money than anybody else, their products were. So why should they essentially subsidize, you know, the, the scallops, um, you know, the, the, whatever the few thousand tons of scallops that get harvested each year in Norway. Um, so their argument was that companies need to build up their own brands. 
companies need to stop focusing on generic marketing so much, build up their own brands, which is much more in the sort of competitive sphere rather than let's let somebody else do our marketing for us. Um, now, you know, movie has, has gone all in on its, its brand work. They are really, really developing that brand. So I wonder too, if, um, if companies should be more focused on developing their own brands, you know, and, and maybe not, not worry quite so much about what a generic campaign would do for them. Yeah, I mean, if I'm a CEO of one of these companies, uh, that's where my mind would be. But uh, at least in this this case here, nobody has to fork out any money. Um, you know, it'd be coming from the government. Yes, it's tax money or whatever, you know, but um, no, none of these companies would have to fork over anything. So they're all pretty happy to do that when it doesn't cost them anything. Um but yeah, I mean, you look at salmon, we're, we just finished up a report on the U.S. salmon market that, that'll be out next week. It's uh, really interesting. But one of the key findings is in this, in this ultimately hot salmon market in the United States, I mean, it's just growing, you know, every year. There really are no leading brands of salmon, whether it be farmed or, or wild. I mean, certainly there's some. But when you try and uh, like understand them as national brands, no, not really. So uh, branding, you know, there's a lot of room, at least in salmon. I mean, some of the other species have stronger brands, you know, fish sticks and stuff, but some room for brands. Yeah. Well, let's move on to salmon then. Uh, that's a great segue, John. Um, okay. So the former CEO of what is today movie used to be called Marine Harvest for those that are newish to the industry. Um, his name's Atla Ida, and he was the CEO of the group Panfish, which then John Friedrichsen, the Norwegian magnate, brought all together, and that became Marine Harvest, which was renamed to movie. That's a history lesson. Okay, so Atla Ida has been in the aquaculture industry for, um, you know three decades, I think, a long, long time. And he sparked some real controversy um, late last month, just a couple weeks ago. Our colleague, Bintari Jensen, uh, wrote a story, uh, did an interview with him. And, you know, one of the things he highlighted, and being kind of free to to speak his mind, he he was the, the chairman of uh, the Norwegian salmon farming company, Salmar, and he just stepped down. Um but he said salmon farming in the way that we know it today in traditional net pens is likely not going to be around by the end of this decade, by 2030. Um, and, and that's a pretty stunning thing um, for uh, the CEO of the formerly largest salmon farming company in the world to say. Um, what did you think about that, that comment? Is he right? I think he's right in a sense because the other part of his comment was um, instead of open net pens um, that we have used traditionally, there'd be a move offshore, closed containment, and to some degree land base, which you know we've talked about ad nauseum, and the jury's still out on on that that gang. But um, but the closed containment, I mean, j just from a company's perspective, open net pens are wonderful, but boy, 
they're expensive to run when you factor in disease, mortality, uh, all the treatments for lice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, financially, they 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 may just not be, uh, they may not pencil out as well as, say, some closed containment operation, which, and, you know, you're seeing more, you're seeing BC, of course, and Scotland and other places, they're, they're starting to really push away from open net pens uh, for environmental reasons and, and other reasons. So he's he's probably got a point. I don't know if 23rd, if it'd be that quick, but, you know, he's a smarter man than I am when it comes to salmon farming. I, you know, I absolutely think he's correct on this. Um, you know, I think if you, let's take a look at BC, although that it's a political, you know, nightmare up there, um, for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but look at how quickly they were able to get salmon farms out of one of the key, uh, areas. I mean, they essentially said in December, you're going, um, by mid 22, uh, 2022, they need to be gone. Um, it, it can, you know, these, some of these leases are longer, of course, in different countries, there's different regulations, but I think in general, and this is what Ida was saying that the ESG component of, of, uh, any kind of food production, any kind of businesses, um, it's becoming so important that I think it's, it's kind of like climate change. You can put it off and you can put it off and you can put it off, but it's not going away the earlier, earlier that you have a strategy for shifting away from that, the better. Um, I, I, you could argue that already the salmon farming industry is a bit behind on this because, um, you know, I, I do think as the aquaculture industry gets more into the spotlight, I think it can become a really important part of an ESG focused uh, portfolio. Um, and I think these uh, green bonds have shown that um, there will be a lot of, of lending and a lot of money that an investment that will be tied up with improvements on, uh, on environmental and, and social, uh, issues. So I, I do think this is going to happen and I think it's going to happen relatively quickly. Well, it's happening, right? I mean, you, you talked about BC, Washington state, they've outlawed <laughs> for lack of a better word, any, any salmon farming. Now they, they might get some steelhead in there. Who knows? I'm sure something will stop that too at some point. But, um, but these traditional net pen companies have to keep operating their traditional pens while trying to create this entire new, uh, you know, technology-driven closed containment systems or offshore systems. I mean, it's a lot to ask. But I think you're right. I think with ESG, I mean. The you know the transition has to happen, uh, and there's really not a lot of options. Yeah, I'm, the good thing is that I think there are some future-minded um, companies out there that have done a lot of work quietly in the background to develop technologies that that would allow for this. Um, I'm reminded there's a there's a piece that um, our colleague. Uh, Marta Njostad in, um, in Norway wrote um, about futuristic salmon farming concepts um, as part of the Norwegian development license system. If you get a chance to see it, um, you probably search futuristic salmon farming in our archive and it'll pop up or even into Google, it'll pop up probably. 
Um, but take a look at those and, and that will give you a sense of just what types of ideas are out there. This, you know, some are still on paper. Some have been put into, into the water, um, like Salmar's, uh, system, for example, like Norway Royal Salmon. Um, there's companies out there that have actually, uh, put their systems in the water, are growing fish. It, it is a, it is a reality. You know, I think the question is finding the right model that is going to be profitable, but I think that social license is going to become so important, um, that I think over time, you're right, there will be a slow push to really make these, uh, make these farming systems, uh, robust from a sustainability point of view. And that to me does probably mean some type of closed containment or at least, um, you know, a, a lot of new tech to ensure that, um, things like sea lice and disease and effluent somehow get, um, get addressed because, you know, there it's, I, I think in a larger sense, um, like I said, I think aquaculture really can fit into that, um, that future uh future of food concept um so many people are as you well know john and as we've talked about many times so many people are pushing on plant-based foods right now um and you know you've said it many times plant-based foods um processed plant-based foods are in many cases just as bad or worse for you than um than the meat they're replacing um maybe better for the planet maybe not um, so, so I think the aquaculture industry is really poised to, um, to, to do well, uh, in this, this need for additional food, um, in the future. But, um, if there's not real, uh, real ambitious changes in production systems, um, I think the industry could miss out on that. Yeah. And it can be uneven too, right? Cause Norway is really far along the curve on closed containment and these uh, futuristic uh, farm concepts that, that you mentioned. But, you know, is Chile as far as along? Mm, no. Uh, and, you know, they produce <laughs> quite a bit of salmon. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a lot to get your arms around. But, uh, you know, he, Otley's point is correct. We're, we're in a transition period here. You know, you can argue if it's 10 years or longer, but the open net pen that we all have grown up with has, uh, is probably uh, expiring uh, to some degree. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch. So uh, we got nine years to see what uh, what happens. <laughs> so let's 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 watch. Buckle up, yeah. everybody. Um, all right. Well, hey, let's wrap it up there, folks. Just a reminder. Uh, John mentioned it. We have our new uh, selling salmon in the U.S. Uh, business, business intelligence report coming out. Um, next week i believe and uh and that's a fantastic uh fantastic report that that john and uh and our colleague kim tran put together and um found some really fascinating things about the uh about the market that um certainly i didn't know even after all these years um also on june 15th uh, about a month away we will have our next Interfish Digital event that will be on land-based aquaculture. Um, we've already got some fantastic people registered to uh, to speak and sit on our panel. 
uh, there. So uh, we're really excited about that discussion. Always fun. So much to talk about with land-based aquaculture right now um, with you know, all the growth, all the new projects, all the money being raised. Um, it, it's just, a, it's always a fun, uh, always a fun subject. And we'll have a lot of great people uh, joining us there. Uh, and remember that you can go to intrafish.com. You can find our newsletters there. Uh, just click on the menu and you can sign up for whatever your interest might be. In addition, uh, we've launched our new alerts feature for subscribers. So that means subscribers can go in if they want to track any topic that is of interest of the, to them. They can get an alert right away uh, when we publish a story on that, or they can round it up and set their schedule and only get it once a day or once a week, whatever they want to do. You can follow authors. So if you want to find out what John Fiorillo is writing, you can follow him. And as soon as John publishes a story, that will come right to your inbox. So it's really cool. We've got a lot of subscribers already that have signed up and are really, really enjoying the feature. But with so much news coming out nowadays, it's just a great way to ensure that the things that are of most interest to you are, are getting to you. And with that plug, folks, we'll wrap it up. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week.